if there's anybody who does any blogging, I'd love to talk to you afterwards <laughs> about how I index these things. It is a, uh, a delight and something of a surprise that uh, Pam and I are here this morning. Uh, about midday on Wednesday, Doug called me and said, Jim, I need a preacher. I said, Doug, I'm kind of out of the rhythm of doing uh, adult sermons. I write children's sermons almost every week, but adult sermons, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of thing of the past. He said, it gets even worse, Jim. I have a text for you. You can't just come with uh, an old sermon. You dust it off. I even have a title, Mutual Submission. I said, give me time to think about it. Uh, as I've told the story to a number of other pastors uh, since uh, Doug called me, when they hear the passage, they gulp. It's about marriage. I told Pam right away after Doug's phone call, I said, I feel a whole lot better about preaching on this passage if I felt more accomplished as a husband. You know, I've, I've had, what, 42 years of practice, almost 43 years of practice, have not done very well. Best thing I ever did was marry Pam. Uh, but I, I just felt the tug of the Spirit, both towards coming to be with you and towards working with that text. So, here we are. I, I would like to ask you to uh, start by engaging in a kind of a listening experiment with me. I'm going to read the text from the Bible. You may have a Bible open, uh, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. I think it'll go up on the, uh, on the screen. You may just want to listen. But this is the experiment. I think generally when you hear a passage, you listen and you receive it in your head. You know, uh, Casey was talking about uh, the difference between really Christian education, kind of information dump, and Christian formation we usually receive it in our heads, or that's what we're conscious of. But some of us don't first think about a passage, we feel about a passage. We respond to that passage not primarily with our brains, although we're listening and processing the words, but we respond with our hearts. Maybe our hearts are are lifted, are, are expanded, maybe they're weighted down. Or if you're like me, sometimes you respond with your gut. Your gut tightens up when you hear a passage, or it frees up. So I, I want to invite you to listen with your whole body as I read this passage. Listen with your whole body and be aware of what your body is telling you as you receive this wonderful word from God. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now as the church church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, people have never hated their own bodies. But they feed and they care for them just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. How did you receive that word? Did it stir some things up in your mind? Was it maybe a little upsetting? Were you trying to spin this? This, uh, this passage that is so countercultural? How about your heart? Did any of you feel a kind of heaviness in your heart? Wives, submit to your husbands? Because maybe you came out of a family tradition where you saw abuse going on your father towards your mother or an uncle towards an aunt? Did, did, did you feel some heaviness? Or maybe some guilt? Maybe you have inherited some really unhealthy habits from your family. And you don't like the sound of this passage. How about your gut? Did it tighten up at all? This passage has been a somewhat controversial and upsetting passage in the life of the church, in our culture, because it is so countercultural. People who are not the least bit interested in God, when they hear this passage, get all up in arms because they see it as a passage that is oppressive towards women and allows men to be self centered, bullying. The interesting thing about this passage is it was just as upsetting in its day when it was written, but for entirely different reasons. Women were nothing in much of the society of the Mediterranean world when Paul wrote this letter, when Jesus lived on this earth. Uh, to many husbands, they were property. What were they good for? To manage a household and provide children, provide heirs. They had no rights. Often they were seen as impure. There are some instances of uh, cultural uh, um, leaders uh, saying you shouldn't even spend much time with your wife. Spend only the time you need with your wife. And here comes this Christian community that values women that tells the husbands of Christian marriages that husbands are not to be self-centered, but self-sacrificing for their wives. And it scared the cultures that these small Christian communities began to, uh, began to grow in. 
And so some of uh, this got written down to demonstrate that the Christian church was not trying to create chaos in a society, but create a kind of an order. Uh, The particular passages about husbands and wives, which will be matched uh, in the coming weeks, I assume by Doug, maybe next week, uh, about parents and children, about masters and slaves or employees to contemporize it. We're all a part of a group of uh, literature literature called house codes. Uh, They were common in the Greek and Roman world. They were descriptions of what relationships, social relationships, economic relationships were to look like in that world. Uh, They were to kind of settle down the fears and the doubts of the people who were looking in from the outside on these Christian communities and saw something they didn't see in the community around them that they didn't see in their families. And that was a call for husbands and wives to love and honor one another, to look out for one another. Uh, thank you so much, uh, worship team, for the songs that you chose this morning. I mean, they've just so opened up. I, I, I was thinking about that phrase. What would it be like if in our marriages, because of the self-giving love that husbands gave to wives and wives gave to husbands, what, what, if it, what would it be like if, if we had marriages where all our fears were washed away? This, this is the invitation. This is the picture that Paul is, uh, is painting. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I, I want to lay out before you the one guiding principle for this whole conversation, this whole sermon, this whole passage. And it's very, very simple. It's the principle we start with and it's the principle we end with. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If we can get straight in our lives that Jesus is Lord, if we can learn to live out in our lives Jesus as Lord, these passages aren't a challenge. They're simply the the, the picture of what that looks like lived out. Jesus is Lord. Submit yourselves to one another. The Christian community is a community of mutual submission to one another out of reverence for the Lord. The translator kind of softens it. The original word was fear. You know, not the kind of fear that we uh, encounter in horror movies, but that deep, deep respect for someone who is so much greater than us that we remain in awe of him or her. And that's Jesus to a T, holier than we can imagine with more power to use for love and compassion, but also for justice, than we can ever get our arms around. Jesus is Lord. And if we have uh, begun to live with Jesus as Lord in our lives, we're going to have no problem. There'll be no upset. In fact, our stomachs will calm down, our hearts will open up, our minds will race with imagination at what life can look like. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another because Jesus is Lord. I'm going to take the passage uh, a little bit out of order today. Uh, I did a quick count of the English translation. What I discovered was this. 
that it took Paul 55 words, wasn't an exact count, you know, within a word or two, 55 words to give wives a picture of what this kind of mutual submission would look like. It took him 140 words to draw the picture, to paint the picture for husbands. It sort of reminds me of that old joke, you know, the husband who uh, came across a sociological study. He was so excited to bring it home to his wife because it finally proved what he'd been saying all along, and that is that women talk much more than men. He came in the door and his wife was working at the counter. He says, honey, listen, listen to what I found out. It proves what I've always been saying. Women always talk more than men. It, it, this survey has uh, found that uh, uh, on average, men use about 15,000 words a day and women use about 30,000 words a day. His wife shrugged and said, uh, that's just because we have to repeat everything. <laughs> he said, what? Let's go to the big body of, uh, <laughs> of teaching here first before we come back to the, the other. I, I think uh, it appears that Paul recognized what most of us recognize. Husbands are slow learners. Now, I, I, I'm going to say here, if you're not a husband or a wife, uh, you know, imagine yourself into this uh, position or uh, simply receive these words and think about the way that you can encourage the friends of yours who are husbands and who are wives. Paul starts out this section, which really falls into two, maybe we could say three sections, uh, with a kind of a theological justification for his argument. Husbands, love your wives. Now, the word he chooses is this word that had a kind of a neutral meaning until the church got a hold of it, and the church really developed a definition of this, one of the four words in Greek that can be used for love. The word is agape. And it came to mean a self-sacrificing love. A love that gives away but doesn't demand anything in return or even expect anything in return. It's a self-sacrificing love. Husbands, Love your wives in a self-sacrificing way. And what's the justification for that? What's the model we should look to? He says, well, it's Jesus. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If I skip back up into verse 23 in the wives sections, we see the title that's used for Jesus is Savior. Jesus came into this world according to the plan of God that Father and Son agreed on. The Spirit led him into, and he saw the dilemma of a broken world with people who were sinners who had no way to deal with their sin. And so he offered himself up, his perfect obedience. He dies, he breaks the power of sin, God raises him from the dead. And he can now offer forgiveness. He can now save us from the destruction we've wreaked in our own lives. So husbands, think about what Jesus did for the world, for the church. He gave himself up. He put put a kind of a radical trust in God that if he was killed, God would somehow bring life, 
bring new life out of that. And his hopes were proved right. He gave himself up for her to make her... And here uh, Paul picks up this idea of uh, Jesus as the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And the, the groom gets to make the bride as beautiful as it's possible for her to become. I was sitting the other day talking about weddings that I've done and there is no more wonderful moment in a wedding than when all the rest of the wedding party is assembled and that bride begins to come down the aisle just radiant in her beauty and in the love that her groom is, uh, is uh, looking at her with. Husbands, do everything you can to make your wives beautiful without stain or wrinkle or blemish or bruise or flinch or depression. I mean, the sad reality is, I saw a statistic the other day, 18% of Christian wives are abused in some way. 5% physically abused, bruised, afraid, deeply saddened. Christ would never do that to the church. Why would husbands think that that could be a part of their relationship with their wives? So there's a kind of a theological, spiritual justification that Paul presents to call husbands into this uh, sacrificially loving relationship with their wives. But it's as if Paul says, these guys got thick skulls. They don't do theology very well. So I'm going to get really, really practical. Okay, I have a question here. How many men in this room have not fed themselves for the last 48 hours? I can see every, all of you are dressed, so I know you dressed yourselves. Some of you uh, picked out your clothes with care. Uh, did any of you sleep outside last night in the rain? No? You came inside and slept in a warm house in a warm bed? Boy, you guys are experts in taking care of yourselves. You're absolutely expert in taking care of yourselves. So Paul says, if you know how to take care of your own bodies take care of your wife in the same way. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, people have never hated their own bodies, but they feed and care for them just as Christ does the church. And then then he... uh, he quotes this passage out of Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and unite with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Well, if the two become one flesh, you cannot help if you care for yourself, caring for your wife deeply. So there's a theological justification and motivation. There's a very practical one. You guys already know how to do this. Just convert it into this new relationship you're in. But there's something, there's something else that occurs to me as I read this little quote from Genesis that Paul used. For this reason, a man will leave his mother, his father and mother, and be united to his wife. 
how many of the unhealthy marriage patterns, how many of those are carried into a marriage out of family history? I remember the first time when I was marrying a couple, when I was doing premarital counseling with a couple, and uh, in the middle of it, they came in and said, we're not ready to be married. And I probed a little deeper. And finally, what I learned was the husband came from an immediate family and a whole constellation of families in which marriage always meant divorce. That, that he, marriages always ended in divorce in his, uh, in, in, in his personal history. And he could not imagine uh, it happening any other way. And so he was afraid to marry his fiancée because he knew that inevitably they would be divorced. That was how strong this family heritage was for him. So we had to work on him imagining a new kind of a marriage relationship. In the same way that Paul tells us over in Corinthians that in Christ we're new creatures, in Christ we can develop new patterns, new models of marriage. We need to leave, be we need to leave behind if there were unhealthy patterns in our mother and father's relationships, or if abusive patterns in the way we were treated in our own family, that's the only way we'll be free. Otherwise, those patterns will be Lord rather than Jesus being Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Husbands, if you, you loved your wives so much, that all their fears would be washed away. Well, there is a word for wives. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands. Now, what's interesting here is, and it reinforces this idea that Jesus is Lord is the main point. Mutual submission throughout the whole Christian community. There are no exceptions. There are no groups that get a pass on this. <laughs> What's interesting is in the Greek, that word submit doesn't even appear in the 22nd verse. It's just uh, submit to one another, verse 21, out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Verse 22 has to borrow that word from verse 21. We don't know why Paul used this different language for men and women. It probably was culturally conditioned. It was a huge leap in that culture for women to move from uh, being subjected to uh, whatever their husbands dished out to actually making the choice to submit their, to their husbands. Now, that word submit actually means to arrange things underneath. So when Paul says, uh, wives, submit yourself to your husbands, what he's saying is, arrange your life in view of your husband, his life, and his needs to understand which of those he needs help in meeting. Wouldn't it be wonderful if husbands felt so deeply secure in the love of their wives that all their fears were washed away? 
For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And boy, this, this verse has been a troublesome verse because a, uh, a lot of that abuse that I named before, particularly in Christian marriages, has been justified by husbands and even by pastors because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. These are people who have completely missed what authority meant for Jesus. For Jesus, authority meant I will take responsibility to serve the ones underneath me. Jesus was the preeminent servant leader. And so uh, these words should be deeply reassuring to wives. Your husband is the one who has made the choice to take responsibility to care for you, to love you, to provide for you. And so you can be completely at ease in arranging your life in such a way that you can expect that He will be attentive to what you need. So how do we practice this? How do we practice this? Back to another one of the song lyrics. I'm going to suggest that this week, husbands and wives, put this into practice in the secret place. This is what I'm going to suggest, that you set aside five minutes at the end of the day to ask yourself two sets of questions. Two sets of two questions. The first one has everything to do with the overall principle. Jesus is Lord. That's what we have to get down if we're even going to be able to approach this business of marriage relationship. So the first two set of questions I'd like you to, uh, to ask yourself in a prayerful mood in God's presence, inviting the Holy Spirit to lead you back into the day. Where have I allowed or invited Jesus to be the Lord of my life today? Where have I allowed or invited Jesus to be the Lord of my life today? And the matching question is, where have I resisted allowing Him to be the Lord of my life today? Pretty simple questions, won't take long. The second set of questions, and it has to do with the practical marriage teaching in this passage, Where have I put my wife or husband first in my life today? Celebrate that. Enjoy it. Revel in it. And secondly, where have I put myself first over and above my wife or my husband today? Asking these questions and being honest about answering them doesn't solve any problems, but it begins to get you in touch with where God is working in your life as Lord, where you are moving into this place of mutual submission to one another so that you with your spouse can receive all the fullness that God has to give you in your marriage. Would you just pray with me for a moment?
I pray, Lord, that uh, for those gathered here who really want to engage with the truth of this text, that you'll call them to that brief time each evening this week and let them take a long, loving look at their lives with the grid of these questions and invite you to speak to them. I pray that in Jesus, the Lord's name. Amen.